The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Father, you know who we have been, who we are, who we want to be. You know us through and through completely. And these things we've brought, we've brought ourselves to you. We thank you for your grace, your love, your unstoppable love that knows our sin, has uh, reached across the separation, drawn us to yourself in the person of Jesus. So thank you for the forgiveness that is ours in him. Amen. Refuge Church, uh, we are a month into our sermon series on prayer called Talking with God. And uh, last week we looked at Hannah, and we're going to, we are doing, for the most part, um, chronological, we're going through uh, prayers in the Bible. Uh, We kind of went ahead to see Hannah, and we're going to go back a little bit now to look at Moses, who had a amazing distinction given to him, which was being a friend of God. So let me um, read our intro, and then we will dive into a sermon on prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. This request from Jesus' disciples not only expressed their personal desire, but offers their impression of Jesus' life and ministry. Jesus' life was a praying life. The intimacy and understanding between Jesus and the Father is available to every person who desires to know God. I'll read that line again. The intimacy and understanding between Jesus and the Father is available to every person who desires to know God. Lord, teach us to pray. The question, will you be my friend, might be one of the most vulnerable questions that we can ask somebody, making us completely open to rejection. (laughs) Will you be my friend? Yesterday, uh, Hannah and I, before my little sister's wedding, we went to breakfast with my my brother and, and his family, and my nephew Owen, who is six years old, brought with him a journal. And uh, we were playing a pretty aggressive game of rock, paper, scissors at the breakfast table. And in the middle of that, yeah, I mean, they're like, did you know there's a black hole in rock, paper, scissors? Yeah, he busted that one out on me. I didn't even know what to do. He just said it beats everything. So I had no hope. Um, So I made, obviously, a bigger black hole. And I consumed his black hole. So uh, (laughs) in the middle of that time together, uh, he, he brings out this thing. It looks like a book. It says something like monster zombies on it. And, uh, and he's six years old, right? And, and I started flipping through this because I said, oh, you're reading this? And I started flipping through this and it's just blank pages for a journal. And uh, it says something in the front like for my friends. And, and he spelled it like F-R-E-N-S for his friends. And, and in that, it, it just, the first page is a list of names. 
And, um, and so I read those and I got to know his best friend's name is Paul. Got to know about Paul. Uh, had his cousins here now that he entered in yesterday. And so we talked about this. And about 30 minutes later, he said, do you have a pencil? I said, no, I don't have a pencil. He goes, well, if you have a pencil, you can write your name in my book. Um, we could not find a pencil, and he would not accept pens, so my name is not, not in the book. Uh, but for him, it was this, this gesture of friendship. These are my people. There was about nine names in his life that represented friendships. And, and looking back on our lives, those are some of the, the most cherished memories we have is with the people that we call our friends. These are my friends. And, and it does change, you know, <laughs> You probably don't knock on your friend's doors now and say, you want to come out and play with me? Uh, so it looks a little different as you grow up, though that would be very special. Feel free to come over and do that anytime. <laughs> we would love that. Uh, but, but as it changes over time and those dynamics change, it's still these are the people that I, I walk through life with. And, and as we come to Exodus 33 and, and Moses is described in 33.11, it says, The Lord spoke with Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Today we're going to see the interaction between two friends. And the big question that will be answered that hopefully you see kind of an, an answer to in the interaction you see between Moses and God is how personal is God? How personal really is God? We, talk, we hear about having a personal relationship with God but is God personal? And Moses, I think, really is challenged by this and what he's seen in the Exodus story and where they find themselves under Mount Sinai with what they've just experienced. Is God still personal? And that's kind of what he's, he's asking. And the big idea is this. God is so personal that you have to grow to know him more and more. I think sometimes our relationship with God struggles because it's as if a moment happened. We, we became followers of, of Jesus. We put our faith in God, the God of the Bible, and we're just like, I accept this. And, and, and we fail to appreciate, and the Bible actually gives us the name, it's sanctification. It's, we fail to appreciate the growth that must happen. There's actually so much growth available in our relationship with God that for all eternity, you will not be able to exhaust what you can come to know about God. You know, a million years from now, you're still going to be like, what? Like, no way. You never told me that. God's going to be like, you never asked me. So there's, that is what it means for us to be in relationship with an infinite, omnipotent, omniscient God. This, this God who is always bigger. A God who is always bigger. That's who we are in, not just relationship with, they're just getting chairs. Um, not just a relationship with, but we're in a personal relationship with this God. So, are you guys ready to, to jump in? Uh, if you in the back guys want to come up, there's, there's uh, in the, the spitting rows, there's, uh, there's room available. Okay, Exodus 33. Um, before we dive into this, I'm going to give you a little context and remind you what prayer is. I'm going to do this every week. Prayer simply is access to God for those who need him. 
Prayer is access to God. If you don't need God, you're not praying. (laughs) Prayer only happens when we understand the relationship between us and him. Always him as the gracious giver. Always us as the receiver. So the context of this story that we're getting into, um, I mean, we can go all the way back to the beginning, really, but the the context we'll begin with is Egypt. Uh, We have looked at uh, Abraham and the promise that through Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We got even in that promise that his descendants that would be countless, they would be numerous, they would go and they would experience uh, slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And, and we're now on the other side of that in the story of Moses. 400 years of a, a people losing their identity, trying to grapple with who they are as a people that have been subjugated and no longer can decide for themselves what they do. And, right, uh, that is ultimately what slavery means. It's, a, it's a, a people who are being stolen from their identity, right? And so that's what's happened for 400 years. And so as this exodus happens, that God comes down and they don't even really know his name. Like, who will I tell them you are? And God actually gives a new name for them to have. I am that I am. I'm the God who always was. Even when you were in Egypt, I always was your God. I'm, I'm still God. I, I always will be God. And that's the name they're given. So, so this exodus story, this, this leaving of Egypt is God showing up in really powerful ways. We get the 10 plagues of Egypt. God just decimates this nation. You always thought they were powerful. I'm more powerful. That's what the 10 plagues were. And then there's they're coming out of Egypt. It's one final blow in the parting of the Red Sea. God finally showing up in, in this mighty, mighty way. Right? In, in my mind, literally, my experience, there's nothing more powerful than a wave. Physically, I've never experienced more powerful, more, anything more powerful than that. And that's kind of how he shows up in the Red Sea, the power of the water to, to submerge the strength of Egypt one final time as they find themselves on the other side. And you finally get them worshiping, really worshiping, right? They're just, they have the tambourine out and they're just like, don't know what to do other than start proclaiming who this God is that has rescued them out. Now, as you uh, can expect from, from uh, the people, the next chapter is them complaining. Yeah? So they're like, we're worshiping. We just can't help but show and say who God is. And then, and then the next chapter, they're like, oh, if we were just back in Egypt where we had meat. right?" And Hannah knows I never get more grumpy than when I'm hungry. And they were just a hungry people. right? They were my... <laughs> My brother-in-law came over this week, and he'd been like, he's doing this weird fasting thing for his health, and he looked terrible. And, and he's been doing it for seven days, and he's like breaking it, and he was just upset. And we were like, I get it. Like, why aren't you eating with us? Right? They were at that point in, in Exodus 14 where they're just, they're upset. And, and then God brings them, kind of, you know, kind of supplies their needs, and then brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai. And that's where we find ourselves here where God has shown up in subjugating the people of Egypt, and now, now they come to the, the bottom of Mount Sinai, and then it's now just them and God. And God comes down with fire on the mountaintop. And so Moses goes up to meet with God, and while he's up there, again, they forget God. They forget who their God is, and they build a golden calf. And God, seeing this, seeing this happening, he, he says this, and this is... This is really what brings us to where we're at in Exodus 33 is God says, I'm not going to go with you any further. 
I've rescued you, but I will not go any further with you. And this is a serious word because I think sometimes in our own hearts, we ask this, God, after this last screw up, will you go with me any further? And that's what we're wrestling with here in Exodus 33. I think this seems um, harsh, but I think the context of this is really this. God, even though he's shown up in powerful ways, still is an optional part of their lives. I mean, you see how quickly they they formed a golden calf, right? So God really was just a means to an end for them. They were in a land of oppression. They want to be in a promised land. God is just a means to that end. And so when when he has shown up and Moses goes up to meet with him, they're like, okay, who's the next God to get us there? Does that make sense to you? And so oftentimes that happens in our lives. We're like, God, thank you. I felt so much freedom in your forgiveness. And you brought me to the place where I have no more shame. But now I'm going to find something else because you're that big wave, right? You're the the one who crashed down on the people of Egypt. This is an intimidating relationship that I don't necessarily want to have either. And so I'm going to make a God that I can manage and let go of that God. Let go of the God who descends with fire on mountains. That's a scary relationship to be in. That's one that I don't feel in control of. And so God says, I will not go with you any further. Well, when Moses comes down and with him sort of the reality, the reality of what a relationship could be and the relationship they've lost, that's Exodus 33. And I'm going to read this for you. Um, If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus 33, verse 1. This is how it goes. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and your people, you've brought out of Egypt. Go up to the land I promised and an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but... I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you if we go together. He's like, we could go together, you might be destroyed. So I'm just going to let you go on ahead, right? That's just what I'm going to let you do. And it says, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now, this is verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while Moses spoke with the Lord. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, They all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance of their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks with a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave. This is quite an amazing thing we get to witness here. 
um, this God who has submerged Egypt, this God who has descended with fire, um, now comes close. There was a tabernacle that has been, um, they've just been given instructions for that all Israel would orient themselves around this congregational place of worship. But here we're given a single tent. And I think we probably find ourselves having something similar to that. We come here, we worship, we have a congregational experience together. But there's another tent, a tent where we come face to face with God ourselves. Uh, the tent, uh, I'll call it the we need to talk tent. Um, <laughs> Price is laughing. Uh, and I would too if someone said that because there are times in a relationship where someone says to you, we need to talk. Now, I don't do well with that scenario. Um, uh, Hannah and I uh, t- talk about this now. Hannah would g- do something like this. She'd be like, hey, we need to talk. Um, is it cool when I like come home that we can talk? And I was like, no, cancel your plans. We're talking right now. I, like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't put off the we need to talk <laughs> when we need to talk. I, I just literally called work and said, I'm not coming in today uh, because I just can't live in that suspense. And that is what is happening when Moses goes out to the we need to talk tent is all of Israel is at the edge of their tent waiting. They're waiting to see what God will say to Moses. And, and the conversation we see between them, I think Moses is really waiting to see what God will say to him. Um, as, as Moses approaches God as one talks to a friend. I'm going to read the next uh, verses through the end of the chapter. We get to be that fly on the wall, uh, hearing the conversation between God and Moses and the growth that we see within that. Remember, the question I posed, how personal is God? And, and the answer being that, that God is so personal that we need to grow closer and closer and we need to grow more and more in that relationship with him and we see growth here in Moses's relationship with God. Moses begins with accusation and it moves to a place of intimacy with God. Uh, As there's this this, uh, sort of request made of Moses and a response of God, request, response, request, response, three times it goes back and forth and we see a growth here in this short tent conversation that Moses has with God. So I'm going to read it and then we'll, we'll walk through it together. Starting in verse 12, if you're following along. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know where you will send me. You've said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I might know you and continue to find favor With you, remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked of me because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And Moses said, now 
show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But the Lord says, you cannot see my face, for no one can see my face and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face you may not see. You see the three movements here. Um, Very simply, we see Moses' first request, teach me. The second request, go with me. And the third request, show me. It's it's an amazing movement. Moses, uh, and we're we're just going to start with teach me, but I, I... I love how Moses starts like I start my prayers. When I go from the congregation, when I go from uh, the place of, of um, feeling disconnected or needing to be present with God, and finally then I find myself in his presence, and I just rush in, and Moses rushes in. <laughs> it's like he, the, the flap of the tent has just been closed, and he just, words start tumbling out of his mouth. You've been telling me. Right? It's almost this accusation. Do you hear? You've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know where you're sending. Right? It's just like, you've said this, but <laughs> it's this overwhelming. He feels so overwhelmed. He feels overwhelmed by his limitations. God has asked this of him. God has asked something huge of him, and Moses feels absolutely inadequate to the task. Teach me really is a posture of humility. And that, you know, we might not think of Moses being humble by the way he starts, but really he's just going, God, remember, you're big, I'm small. These are your people, not my people, right? Like, he's like, I was a prince in Egypt, and now you've asked all this of me. What do you want me to do? And God simply responds to Moses' request, teach of me. Teach me what? To know you and find favor with you. I love this. Moses isn't going, and teach me like to just be a genius. Like I need to be seriously a leadership guru, God. And but he's not asking that. He just goes, he's in the tent now, the personal tent with God. He's having the that we need to talk with God. And he just says, I just want to know you. At the end of the day, I just feel extremely disconnected from you. Moses, with all his anxiousness and feeling overwhelmed, he still, he hasn't lost the point. At this point, he hasn't lost the point. It's simply to know God. He doesn't say, get us to the promised land. He goes, get me to you. Teach me your ways. Teach me you, God. And Moses, and God's response is frustratingly short. Frustratingly short. He simply says, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. I will go. Now, if, if you have had the we-need-to-talk-talk, talk, uh, you will know that short responses are extremely frustrating. You've just poured out your heart, and the person's like, I hear what you're saying. And you're like, do you? Do you hear me? Because I just said a lot of words. And God just says, I will go with you, and my, you know. And so... 
we enter into the second level of intimacy, which goes beyond teach me to go with me. God has just said, I will go with you. And Moses' response really is saying, will you actually do what you've said you will do? If your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go? What else will distinguish this people from anyone else on the face of the earth? We are a people defined by God, is what Moses is saying. We are a people defined by God from the beginning to the end. And unless we are people that know you, that our hearts are filled with you, unless we have more than just a direction, an arrow in the sand saying what way we should go, he goes, we are no people. We are no people at all. I I used the example of a wave earlier, and and I I think um, this is probably the best expression uh, of what Moses is feeling right now. I can speak with great knowledge to what it feels like to have a wave crash on you. I can't speak with great knowledge to catching waves because I'm really at the point of surfing, I'm at the point of having waves crash on me. And there's this feeling when you're catching a wave where you're like, the the wave's coming up your back and you're feeling the movement forward and you're hopeful that you will catch this wave but you are also very aware that you might just get demolished by it. And I think that's where Moses feels right now. He's seen God, he's seen his power, the power of the 10 plagues, the power of the Red Sea. And Moses feels very, very small at this moment. He feels the power of God behind him, but will it crash over him or will it propel them forward? And so when you see him, God say, I will go with you. And Moses goes, will you go? We need you to go. Moses is going, I know you're at our backs, but will you crash over us or will you push us forward? You know what I mean? And I, and I think that's where he, he understands who God is. And so this, this force, this mighty force of God, this force that has a name, Yahweh, now says something very tender. I am pleased with you. That's different, right? Think of that. There's times in our relationship, Hannah and me, when, when we had the talk, and it was like, and we actually did break up and get back together a couple times, so sometimes the, the, the talk didn't go well, right? There's those times with God where you're like, is this a go with me thing, or is this an overwhelm me thing? And God goes, I am pleased with you. It moves from just, I'm going with you, to I love you. You hear that movement towards intimacy? I absolutely love this. I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you. The wave pushes him forward while at the same time wrapping him up pleasure. The pleasure of God. That is what is filling Moses' soul right now. Pleasure is such a profound expression. Um, I, I think there's a lot of ways that we're probably, probably already screwing up Elliot as parents. You know, you just kind of accept that fact. Like as parents, we're probably going to figure things out good and hard. I think one way that we're doing it well is that when Elliot wakes up from his naps, we're always smiling at him. I was telling this to Carrie the other day. I think, and, and he anticipates that. And so when he wakes up, 
and we walk in the room, he is always smiling. Right? And I think that's one of the best things we can do because he knows we're excited to see him. He knows that we are pleased with him. The moment we see him, we're like, oh, you know. Now, do we always feel, you know, at oh, dark 30, <laughs> do we always feel ready to smile? No, we don't always feel ready. But we always love him, right? And so how do we express that? Because all he can understand right now is that. That's all he can understand. He can understand pleasure through the expression on my face. And that is why God, God smiles on Moses in that tent. I'm not just going with you, but I am pleased with you. And Moses, in the confidence of that pleasure, goes one step further and says, now show me yourself. Show me your glory. This is the ultimate hope he has, not just for God along the way, but God within him, filling him, God showing himself personally to him. And God responds by saying, I will show you myself, but incompletely. I will show you myself, but incompletely. And there is a mercy in both of these. There is a mercy in God who has declared himself as the God who is merciful. There is a mercy in God showing part of himself and there is a mercy in hiding part of himself. Because Moses, mortal Moses, is not ready for all of God. And there is mercy in that. I think, I think we do not understand God when we do not accept the fact that there's only part of God we can know right now. We've made God the golden calf if we think we can fully fully comprehend him and live right now. We don't fear God for who God is if right now we think we can fully take him in. And so it's a mercy that God says, you can see me, but not all of me. And for the rest of Moses' life, he can keep praying that. Show me yourself, show me. When, when Moses gets to heaven, he can keep saying, show me, show me, show me. God is not one that gets, he's not a parent that gets tired of show me. He's one that continues to give more and more and more because we get more and more personal with God. And for all eternity, we'll be getting more and more personal with this personal God. That is what relationship means. It means growth, not necessarily completeness, Right? Even when Hannah and I became one flesh in marriage, there's still so much you have to learn in that relationship. Show me. I want to know you more, 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 right? That's, that's a healthy relationship. And God is a healthy relationship when we say, show me yourself, show me yourself. When our prayer times sound like this, teach me, go with me, show me. Appreciating the moment we're in and appreciating what we're becoming with God. This, this is intimacy and this is prayer. So, what made Moses, to conclude, what made Moses confident that he could enter personally into this tent and meet with God? This God who devastated Egypt and the Red Sea and the 10 plagues and descended on the mountain. Moses is confident because Moses knows that he's called he was actually called out of a burning bush. It's a pretty special calling. He, he knew what God had told him to do, but he knew that he needed to know more to do it. Teach me. He needed God to be with him in that calling. Go with me. 
And he wanted personally God. He knew that the responsibility he had been given was not just for him to give to others, but for himself to be filled up with who God is. This is a very helpful, instructive lesson for me. Uh, As you know, this last year, I, I took on more than I could ever hope to accomplish uh, in taking on the role as executive director at Coffee O. And, then, um, and I do think it's a calling. Um, this is so helpful because without even having really this framework, these really uh, formed, this really formed my prayer, um, praying for that. God, teach me. I, there's so much I don't know. Um, there are so many times I'm in a meeting and someone makes, wants me to make a decision and, and I don't have maybe a complete idea of what I should do or say. Or, right? I'm 35 years old. I have a lot to know, a lot to, to learn. God, go with me. God, just because you've called me doesn't mean, I, like, I, I don't want to, I can't do this by myself. I can't take another step by myself. And God, show me. The thing I've been most concerned about in taking on more responsibility is that I would be somebody who gives so much to other people that I no longer have a personal relationship with God. That's so common among leaders. And they get praised for it. (laughs) Uh, In in a book, um, I've read uh, Bowling Alone, um, the author says, if you want to get something done, give it to somebody with already a lot of responsibility, right? And, and that's how it can feel like, man, this person is doing these things well. I'm going to give them more. Maybe they'll do more well, right? And that's what happens every organization you'll ever be a part of. There's people that do more, and there's people that enjoy those people doing more, right? And there, there's people in between that, right? And, and how do we all carry this together? That's what we've been talking so much about. Let's all make this thing happen together, right? But it's a great concern being the guy oftentimes at the top of the food chain in these different things. The refuge, I'm the lead pastor, Kafio, I'm the executive director. And I know far less than a lot of you. Right? I'm just the guy who somehow feels comfortable to talk a lot and loves the Bible. Right? So in that dynamic, how do I stay healthy? Because the thing you need, the thing that Coffeeo needs is a healthy person, right? The way I do that is I go, God, show me yourself. I don't want to be a fraud. I don't want to just preach great things and be like, man, look at this stuff. And then I go and I'm like unkind to my wife and I'm not a great dad and I'm unhealthy. The best thing I can possibly do is be someone who prays. Now show me yourself, God. Because the best part of me I can share with you is the part of me that has the, the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ just shown on that part of me, right? And then I can hopefully just share that, shine that in some way. And that's true for all of us. And so, so what I want to encourage you with this week is go to your tent, go outside, find somewhere where you move outside of the congregation. And the congregation might not just be presence of people, but voices of people. It might be setting aside all the books you've read and all the advice you've got. And, and so you're just finally with God and you pray these three things. Teach me. 
Because my knowledge is incomplete, teach me because I want to know you more, God. Go with me because somewhere along the way, I think I left you and I started building a golden calf. And I'm not actually worshiping you, the fearful, powerful force, the wave, Yahweh. But I've started just doing something manageable to me. And then the third thing is show me yourself, God. I am not healthy, God. Because I've made, this, I've made this thing a religion, not a relationship. I've made this something that, that it's all about showing up on Sunday. And I don't know your voice anymore. Show me yourself. And that is the prayer of Moses, who has more responsibility than any of us could ever dream of. He has more weighing on his shoulders. He has literally just received the Ten Commandments. And he prays, show me yourself. But a simple, beautiful prayer that we all, all can imitate. Show me yourself. Now, I don't want to miss out on noting, as I close this, that God has shown himself in an amazing way. We're given the tabernacle from this model in Exodus. We're given a tabernacle or the experience to tabernacle in an even more special way. In John 1, where Jesus came and made his dwelling among us. That literally is saying Jesus tabernacled with us. Jesus set up a tent and invited us into it. Jesus is the one we meet with. Jesus has made himself accessible to us. The God who we see walking through the pages of the New Testament, walking through the Gospels, is the God that when we sit outside on the lawn and start praying these things, we are in communication with face-to-face as one who talks with a friend. So I invite you to do that this week. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this invitation. Many of us know you as God and need to know you as friend, or maybe have known you as friend, but have grown distant. God, I pray that you will help us in prayer this week to approach you in this way. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.